All right, well, we're in Judges chapter 3. I'm really excited about this chapter because there's a story in here that we teach in my family. It's one of my most requested Bible studies in our family, our family uh, Bible night on Sunday night, and so it's going to be fun. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We pray that you would continue to teach us, that we would have those eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, your word for us this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're jumping right back in, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them, that is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. Namely, five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites who dwelt in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath. And there were left, and they were left that he might test Israel by them, to know whether they would obey the commandment of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Verse five. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to be their sons, and they served their gods. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherahs. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the right hand of cush rish I'm not doing that again king of Mesopotamia, and the children of Israel served Cushan, go ahead and try that one again, eight years, Rishathiam. Well, there's a lot going on there in those first eight verses, but the first question is this. It says that the Lord left the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hizzites, the Jebusites. It says that he didn't drive them out of the land, or was it the children of Israel's disobedience to the commandments that they were left there. So which one is it? Was it the children of Israel's disobedience, or did the Lord choose to leave them there to test Israel? And the answer is yes. It's both at the same time. The Lord knows all things. He's not surprised by anything. He's going to use it for his goodwill and purposes. But that being said, we know it is there that Israel did not follow the commandments of the Lord. We know that they didn't finish driving them out. They were supposed to, and they, they started it in Judges chapter 1, but by chapter 3, they've given up on it. But the Lord knows those things. And as the Lord is going to put his people to the test, we're going to see that the people will always fail the test. This is reassuring. This is a blessing in disguise. How could that be a blessing in disguise? Listen, anytime we're put to the test and our flesh is the thing that's under the test, we are going to lose. We are going to stop. We are not going to follow through. Without fail, we will fail. I want to remind you this. This is important because one day you're going to be down and out. You're going to make a really bad choice. You're going to make a bad decision. Without fail, we will fail. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in detail, but we are not strong enough to drive out sin. We're not strong enough to fight off bad thoughts. We're not strong enough to will ourselves into being good human beings or being good people. 
It's only through the power and the grace of God that we can have victory in those things. And you can look at yourself in the mirror with so much shame, knowing that you're failing over and over and over again. And the encouragement from the Bible is you and everybody else. Because great is our God and great is His faithfulness. Now let's look at the people of Israel. Let's look at two lines, two very important lines. Number one, they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons. So there's a great intermingling with different religions, false gods, false society. The more that we are in the world, the more we will be like the world. Without fail, bad company corrupts good morals. Every time. Again, you may look at yourself in the mirror with great shame. Oh, I was at work. I was at school. I was at the golf course. I could have represented the Lord, but instead I let a foul language slip out of my mouth. I had a bad thought about someone that I was working with. And you're just wondering why is it that we're constantly sliding? And that is our sinful, fleshly nature. Left to ourselves, we will always drift away from God. And then we look at the next line and we say, and they forgot the Lord their God. They forgot the Lord their God. How is that possible? Don't they know who their God is? Why is it that we do that? Every day we do things that if everyone knew about it or thought things, that if everybody knew about it, or hid things, that if everyone knew about it, we would be uh, filled with great shame. And let me reassure you, all of us are in the same boat. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us left to ourselves will drift away from the Lord, not to the Lord. And what's the problem? They not only forget the Lord, they served the Baals and the Ashtaroths. It's, it's just amazing. I mean, if you go on the computer right now and you take a look at all the secret things that you have clicked on, all the ads that you have looked at, all the photos you shouldn't have looked at, but maybe you were scrolling through it and it caught your eye, and maybe you're like, oh, no, I shouldn't look at that. And if we put that up here on the screen and, and we just looked at your clicks and we say, well, this fellowship has clicked these things and we've looked at these things, we would be ashamed. All of us would be ashamed. And we see the same thing. We go and serve the Baals and the Ashtaroth. We go and we serve the false gods of this world. How many of us thought too much about money or violence or excess or drugs and alcohol or fill in the blank? Well, in the Old Testament times, they had false gods, idols that represented these things and people served them and they went after them. And I'm here to tell you, Christian, no matter how good of a Christian you are in any given season, that if you spend too much time with them, you will become like them. Without fail, every time, we will fail. And we're going to see in the book of Judges, over and over and over again, this saying is going to keep creeping up, and they did whatever was right in their own eyes, and they did whatever was right in their own eyes. Is that not what we're seeing in our society today? Every man does what is right in their own, right, in own eyes. And we say, that's freedom. That's America. That's great. All of us should be able to do what we want. The problem is that we are forgetting that we are fallen people, fallen creatures. And without fail, 
we will all fail. Fail to do what? Fail to keep God's holy, righteous standard because we cannot keep the law. That's why we live in the age of grace. That's why the Lord had to come and give His only begotten Son to give us a new nature that wars against the flesh. But you will always have that war as long as the Lord has, your, has you here in this world until His glorious return. Well, what does this lead them to? How do we think the society is in Israel at this time when there's this intermingling of different false gods and religions? There's this intermingling um, with the world. They're not driving out the, the, uh, the foreign countries, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. That's a lot of people all intermingling. They've forgotten the Lord. Obviously, this is going to work out good, right? This is going to have some great results. Well, let's read verses 9 through 11. When the children of Israel, and I, I want you to notice the end of verse 8, that Kushan Rishathiam was taken over Israel for eight years. And then in verse 9, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, the spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathiam, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathiam. So the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. So eight years. They've been taken bondage by this guy. We're going to call him Kushan for short. Kushan, he is given authority by God. He is victorious over Israel, and the tribes are now serving this pagan lord. This is going to happen on and off for centuries as we're in the book of Judges. It is a sad thing. But one person, one person is raised up. And it says that he goes to war. Well, what does this mean for the Christian, for the New Testament believer? Do we go to war? No, we're not called to violence in the name of Christ. We're to turn the other cheek. Now, the government's been given the authority of the sword, Romans chapter 13. The government is to execute vengeance. The government is to keep the peace. Uh, that's a study for another day. You can look up one of our studies in Romans 13. But Christians, we turn the other cheek. We do not take up arms in the defense of the name of Jesus Christ. So we're not called to be judges, per se, these superheroes that are going to go over and take over the government and have a Christian nation. No, that's, that's not what's being said here. At that time, in that period, yes, they went to physical war. But sometimes, Christians, we have to decide to wage a spiritual war, a mental war, a war over the spirit, whether it's the soul of our family, whether it's your own mind, whether it's for your, your church. You have to take ground from the enemy. Maybe you've spent too much time in the world. You know the influences that are negative on you. You know the influences that are negative on your kids. You know the influences that are negative in the fellowship. And sometimes it takes one person to say, no, no more. You can hate me. You can scream at me. You can fight with me. And it's going to be a struggle. 
and maybe this struggle is within your own mind. But how did Othniel have victory? It says the Spirit came upon him. Remember, left to ourselves, without fail, we will fail. But who never fails? The Lord will never fail. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So you can't do it. You can't have victory on your own. Left to yourself and with the influences of this world, you will drift. That's reassuring because we know the answer has been given to us. We have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory in the Word of God that is power, more powerful than any two-edged sword. So put away the old um, ancient weapon, the literal sword, and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and go to war in your own mind, in your own family, for your kids, for this fellowship. Have the Spirit of the Lord come upon you, because no man seeks after God, no, not one. But it says here, it says here that when the children of the Lord cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel. And I wonder which one of us he's going deli- to raise up. And we know it's not going to be our own strength. Why? Because verse 10, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. But what does it say there? He went out to war. Remember I said earlier, I said, did, did Israel fail in not kicking out the enemies of God and the, the false worshipers? Did Israel, were they disobedient to the word of God? Or did the God leave those people there to test Israel? I said the answer was yes. It was both at the same time. Well, do we stand up in our own mind? Do we go to war spiritually or does the Lord raise us up and does he fill us with the spirit to overcome? And the answer is yes. Yes, but we have to react to the action. We have to do the things that he's calling us to do. You may be even in your mind right now convicted by the Holy Spirit. You feel convicted because you're in a place of shame. You feel convicted because you are drifting and you're encouraged like, okay, I am like everybody else. And you may be even right now saying, okay, I'm going to draw a line in the sand. I'm going to draw a line in the sand. I'm going to have victory. I'm going to make changes. And then the second you leave here, you're like, ah, man. I'm waiting for you to do it, Lord. No, you have to go out. You have to walk by faith. You have to walk with him. Look at the power of one person who's fully committed to God. Othniel has the spirit of the Lord come upon him. He goes out to war against this king, and his hand prevails. And what does it say? So the land, verse 11, had rest for 40 years. One thing that's going to be tough going through the book of Judges is understanding spans of time. Israel is under bondage for eight years, and now because of one man's obedience, they will have rest and peace and safety for 40. How much time are you willing to invest to have victory in the Lord? How much time are you willing to put aside for the Lord? If I could guarantee you right now, hey, listen, for the next eight days... If you fully commit to Christ, to the Word of God, and tune out everything else, you're going to have four years of spiritual excellence and your peace with God. You'd be like, 100%, let's do it. That's a great trade. But the issue is we walk by faith and not by sight. And if we look back in our lives and we look at areas that we were victorious in Christ and we look at areas where we had great victory and we walked hand in hand with Him and we see the dividends, that should 
be pushing us and encouraging us to do that now. But what did I tell you over and over again? Without fail, we will fail on our own. On our own. Let's see what happens when you decide to do things in your own power in verses 12 through 15. And the children of the Israel, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek, went and defeated Israel, and took possession of the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, this is one of the most fun stories in the Bible. It's rated PG-13. There's going to be some excitement here. But what do we see? The children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And what does that mean? They're intermingling, intermarrying, allowing the false idols to come in, uh, giving prominence to them. The cultures are mixing together, and they're forgetting the Lord. They're forgetting to serve. They're forgetting to go to Shiloh, to the tabernacle. They're just going about their lives. They're just busy. They're just busy, and they have a slow drift. And now they have 18 years of bondage, 18 years, 18 years. Like you just read that in the Bible, and you're just like, oh, yeah, 18 years. What's the big deal? What if I told you that in the next 18 years of your life, you are not going to have victory in Christ? Whoa, 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 wait a minute. What if we went to court right now and you were sentenced to 18 years in prison? What is your reaction going to be? And what if I told you the sins that you are playing with today would give you an 18-year gap of time in your life? And we know they're happening, but we just play. We're just playing with it. That's a long time to be under bondage. Now, King Eglon is the Jabba the Hutt of the Old Testament. He is a very fat man. He is huge. In fact, we'll get some measurements here in a little bit. And this guy is now their ruler. I want you to think about that for a second. I mean, comedy aside, you have God in heaven as your ruler of the nation of Israel. There is no king. There is no high priest, or there's a high priest, excuse me, but there's no king, there is no council, there is no dictator. God himself was your ruler, and you gave that up to serve the things of man. You gave that up to have Eglon as your king because you did evil in the sight of the Lord. We have the word of God that could be the ultimate expression of of God's word in our our lives, and it could lead us and direct us, and it should be our standard. But no, no, what do we, the world is our standard of what righteousness is. The rulers of this world are trying to dictate what righteousness is. Now, I'm going to say something here. It can be a little bit convicting. I want us to remind ourselves that without fail, we will all fail, right? So let's just remind ourselves of this and know that we're covered in the grace of God. 
But we make an oath before God that we will be married in sickness and health for richer or poor until the day we die. And there is more than one divorce in this place right now. Left to ourselves, we're going to fail. But if the Bible was our ultimate standard and we could keep it in God, and those oaths that we made before God, if, if we used these higher than the laws of man, man, what would our life be like? But again, I'm not using that to destroy you because we are all fallen. All have fallen short. Nobody can keep that standard because of our flesh. But the Lord raises up a deliverer. Listen, every time we read those words, it'll be over and over again in the book of Judges. I want you to think of Jesus Christ because he raised up his son to give us victory over our flesh because in us dwells no good thing, not a one. And Jesus came and he's our deliverer for all time and eternity because we cannot keep the law. We're broken. We can't shake our hands at the people in the book of Judges and say, oh, you, 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 without saying us, us, us. But the Lord raises up a deliverer. Um, Praise the Lord for his grace. And so he does it again. And he uses this man named Ehud. Ehud grows up with a disability, at least a disability in the culture of that day. His disability is that he has a left, he's left-handed. That is not a good thing. All the way up to Roman times, if you were left-handed, they would force you to be right-handed, force you. You are not, you do not use your left hand. Even in Arabic cultures today, you can't eat with your left hand. You can't shake hands with your left hand. I forget, I might have that backwards. Maybe you can only eat with your left and you shake with your right. But it's a big deal, the hand, which one is the clean hand and which one is the dirty hand. But Ehud's disability is God's going to use it for deliverance. God's going to use it for deliverance because the sword for a right-handed person is on the left, and you draw it across, and you draw it out to fight. Well, because Ehud is left-handed, he hides it in his right side. And so when he goes to visit this king, he's going to get patted down on one side because it's always on the same side. Oh, he's not armed. And we're going to see how that plays a role here in a little bit. Let's read now verses 16 to 26. We're going to spend some time here. Verse 16. Now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was double-edged and a cubit in length. Note the cubit. That's going to come into play later. And fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. So he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. But he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. He said, keep silence. And all who attended him went out from him. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. And then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Then Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. Then Ehud went out through the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. 
You can't make this stuff up, but here it goes. Verse 24. When he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look, and to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said, he's probably attending to his needs in the cool of the chamber. Yes, that means what you think it means. (laughs) So they waited till they were embarrassed, and still he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore, they took the key and opened them, and there was their master fallen dead on the floor. Verse 26, but Ehud had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone images and escaped to Sarai. Remember, I want to start off with saying the left hand went to the right thigh. What he thought was a disability, what he grew up hearing about, oh, you're that left hand, that left hand. God used it to deliver the nation of Israel. That's going to come into play later. Second, when it says Eglon, Eglon is a very fat man, the sword that he uses is a cubit. That is from the elbow to the tip of your hand, about 16 to 18 inches. We'll stick with 18 inches. So what is this tribute about? Because Eglon is in charge and he has taken over Israel, they have to pay him a ransom payment, high taxes because he's the boss. So all this, every season or every year, whatever it is, they appoint someone to go bring these extra high taxes to the whoever's in charge, and this time it's Eglon. And Ehud is sent. Ehud prepared a dagger. He made a dagger. He planned this out. We're going to get to the spiritual application in a little bit. First, I want to make sure we understand the magnitude of this story, and now you know why it is a highly requested study in my house. Ehud goes there, he leaves, but he goes back. He says, I have a secret message for you. And so because of this, Eglon's like, ooh, this is going to be good. Maybe I'm going to get more tribute or whatever it is. Maybe he has a jelly donut. I don't know. (laughs) And so he says, keep silence, and he kicks everyone out of the chamber. So it's just the two of them. He's been patted down. He's harmless. What does he possibly have? And then Ehud goes up and he whispers into his ear, I have a message from God for you. And out from his right thigh comes that cubit long dagger and he jabs it right into King Eglon. It says here that the entire dagger goes into him up to his hands and the entrails come out and the fat envelops it. That means that he is so fat that that entire dagger disappears. That's 18 inches and goes into his hand. That man is big. When I said he's a jab with a hut, now my pastor and I got together. We got the measuring tape and we pulled it out there. We did the 18 inches, put the sole of your hand. And if it goes to the middle of your body and we did a circle, you guys remember the old 76 stations? You guys remember that big orange? That's about how big King Eglon is. He's about the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. When the Bible says somebody is very anything, they are very. (laughs) He's a very fat man. But he's also a sign of the world. Now, in the King James Version, it's very interesting. It says, and the dirt came out. And the Hebrew, they have a hard time trying to translate what that really means. But um, let's just put it mildly. It is either his internal intestines or what the intestines make is what comes out of him. Don't know. Like I said, PG-13, let's try and keep it that way. 
Here's the spiritual application. We are born spiritually disabled, spiritually broken. No man seeks after God. All of us, we're broken. Without fail, we will fail. But the Lord uses that for His glory the same way that He's using this, insula- this situation with them not chasing these people out of the land. And as we spend time in the Word of God, we are fashioning the blade. We are having the Word of God written on our hearts. As we spend time meditating on the Word, separating from the world, having that worked inside of us, and then He places it in us in places that the world can't see on the tablets of our heart. And in the most unexpected moments, we can take that out. And no, we don't destroy people with the Word of God, but it does cut to the bone and the marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And I don't know about you, but I remember being a non-believer, and I remember people sharing the Word of God with me, and I remember not understanding it, not knowing it, rejecting it, until I got saved. And then you realize what a powerful effect the Word of God has. It penetrates all the way through the fat, all the way through the flesh, all the way through the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. And the Bible says that His Word will never return void. And so we can do the same. And what can, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed unto His Word. How does a husband wash his wife in the water of the Word, Ephesians 5? When the sword of the Spirit comes into us, the dirt comes out. We are cleansed. The things of this world, the flesh, they're being washed away. God's changing us. Listen, you aren't called to be a part of the world, to be in the world, but not of the world. But the more time you spend in there, the more you're going to drift away from the Lord. The more that you're a Christian school, public school, college, the more that you're at work, the more hours you put in, the more TV you consume, the more Netflix, the more YouTube, the more... Of TikTok, the more you're in that, the more you're going to be contaminated. And sooner or later, you're going to give your daughters and give your sons, and you're going to be intermingled. And you'll forget the Lord your God. But without fail, we will fail. But the Lord, He will raise up a deliverer. And He has through Jesus Christ. And He will use us. Will you be a deliverer in your home, in your family? For yourself as you choose Christ and seek after Him. Look how the Lord used the disability of one man to deliver an entire country. Eighteen years they were in bondage to this man. What has Ehud done? He finishes the deed. He drops the sword. Actually, he leaves the sword in, biblically. He leaves the sword there. He can't get it out. He jumps out the window and disappears. And those poor guards... Those poor guards outside are like, man, this is taking a long time. Why don't you go check on him? Are you kidding me? The the last guy that did that got killed. I'm not going in there. He's probably just in the bathroom. You know how big he is. No, come on. It's been a long time. We should go check. And they're so nervous. They won't check on him. And yes, that's what they're saying. They're saying he must be in the bathroom. And you want to be the one that go interrupt the king in the bathroom? Until finally they find him and he's dead. The things of this flesh always lead to death. The things of this flesh always lead to destruction, and yet we're so tempted by it. Well, we have another deliverer, verse 27. And it happened when he arrived that he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains, and he led them. Then he said to them, follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him, seizing the fords of the Jordan, leading to Moab. 
and did not allow anyone to cross over. And at that time they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor, not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. Well, the other deliverer was the children of Israel themselves. They follow. They follow him. They've got to go to battle now. Nobody wants to be first. Nobody wants to be the first one to be dedicated to the Lord. My question is, who are you waiting for? If you're a father or a husband, you are called to lead your home. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what they say about gender equality. I don't care what they say about identity politics. I don't care about any of those things. The Lord says that you are a priest and a leader in your home, and you should start on your knees before God, knowing that without fail, you will fail. But, but, okay, ladies, I get it. You got a lot of dumb husbands out here. I get it. Well, start with you then. Start with you. You're a younger person here. I triple dog dare you to go first. We'll see. But I guarantee you this. I guarantee you this, that when there's deliverance from the Lord, other people will follow. And he can use you because he raised up our Lord. And our Lord says that seek and you shall find, ask and you shall receive. Well, let's look at something else here. Let's read verse 31. It says, After him was Shamgar the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. Yeah, that's it. A tweet. That's it. I got to know, how did he do it? How did the fight start? Hey, let's, get, let's just go and fight. With an ox goad. An ox goad is a sharp stick. It's a long... I know what I'm going to do with this thing. I'm going to kill 600 Philistines with it. Not one, not two, not 10, not 60. 600. That's one a day for almost two years. What happened? I got to know some context. Only God knows. Only God knows. You see, this isn't about glory. This isn't about who gets known for what and who's better at it. It's simply following God. The Lord is raising up a deliverer. The Lord raises up Shamgar, the son of Anath. Who's Anath? Who's Shamgar? Who taught him how to use an ox goad? I have no idea. I'm just as thrilled and interested as you are. I guess the Lord wants us to have some conversation in the kingdom because then Bible students are going to be looking for Shamgar. I got to know. Show me the clip. I want to see the video. Well, a lot of you are being used by God and nobody knows it. A lot of you are having victories. Maybe there's a great victory that you've had in your own heart and nobody gets to know about it, but God knows and it's recorded. It's recorded and to Him be the glory. See, it's not about being in front of people. It's about being in front of the King. We have a lot of characters throughout the book of Judges, and especially in this chapter, from Eglon, Ehud, Kushan, Rishathiam, to Shamgar. Your story is your story. Your victories are your victories. But I do know, you know left to yourself, you're going to fail every time. But how great is our King that He will never leave us nor forsake us, and no matter how many times we fail, we can always return back to Him, and He is so gracious and forgiving. And yet He empowers us and gives us victory. 
to go to war against the things of the Spirit, the enemies of God. Well, let's pray. Lord, we, we lift up this time to you. We prayed for this evening as we seek you out in prayer. We pray for those that are sick and hurting, those that are traveling. We pray for those that are graduating, those that are making new chapters in their lives, those that have a victory that they have yet to win, that came here tonight hurting, and you had a special word for them. I thank you for the encouragement that we are failures, but you never fail. We thank you for your grace and pray that you would lead us in prayer this evening as we close out this hour seeking you in Jesus' name.